What's up, everyone? I'm back, and welcome to the 14th episode of The Joshua Perry Show. Of course, I am your host, former Buckeye captain and national champion, former NFL player and current Big Ten Network and 97.1, the fan analyst, Joshua Perry. This is a podcast where we talk sports, life, and everything else. We're broadcasting on the wonderful Zedia Network. Follow at Zedia Network on Twitter for big-time podcasts and really awesome content. Um, it's It's been a little while since I have jumped in this seat and gotten on this microphone and done this show. And uh, there was very good reason for the little hiatus I took. Um, you know, we, we talk sports, life, and everything else. This is going to be a little bit of a life segment right now. Um, you know, life, life kind of catches up to you in a lot of ways. And I am a person who spreads myself extremely thin. I do that for my family, I do that for my good friends. I do that for my career and the aspirations I'm chasing. But um, it definitely takes a toll. It takes a mental toll. It takes a physical toll. And it takes a relational toll as well. Um, probably the part that we maybe neglect to talk about, but one of the more important aspects, not just your mental and your physical health, but also your relational health with other people and how you manage those kinds of things. And um, I definitely spread myself a little bit too thin, you know, between um, some of the different ventures that I'm working on that I'll kind of get into and, and not maybe tell all the details, but give you a little bit of detail. Um, some life changes that I've had that are all positive life changes. And then, um, you know, just so the, the demands of the work schedule um, really wore me out. And, you know, these last couple of weeks, I feel like I, I've just been, you know, waking up, in the morning, you know, six thirty, seven o'clock, and I'm going, and I'm not really checking out until nine thirty, ten o'clock, um, and it's a really, really hard way to operate. It's definitely rough, um, you know. It, it definitely takes it up out of you, and I had to take a step back from this, and not because necessarily I wanted to, or because I thought it was the best thing to do, but it was, um, you know, it was one of the only options I really had to be able to manage my time and, um, you know, my, my physical, mental, and relational health. Um, so this year I've been driving back and forth to Chicago to do shows uh, for Big Ten Network. And um, the reason, obviously, I'm doing that is because of the coronavirus pandemic. And I just want to limit contact, uh, traveling through airports and getting on airplanes every week, especially in Chicago, which is one of the bigger airports and, you know, just a, a lot of people coming in and out uh, wanted to be able to avoid that. But what I, I did was I replaced what is typically, um, you know, 45 minutes in the air and, you know, maybe an hour and a half that I would get to the airport early before the flight because I am a TSA pre-check. I'm just straight through. Um, I replaced that with five and a half to six hours each way, uh, Columbus to Chicago, Chicago to Columbus. And in one regard, it's been really good to have that just quiet time, personal time to myself. In another regard, uh, driving, you know, 11 to 12 hours a weekend like that is, is uh, tiring. I mean, I, I get home, and especially earlier on in the season when we were doing, um, you know, shows all day, I would be, my call time would be 7 a.m. Uh, for the tailgate show, which would go on at 9 o'clock central. And then we, I would be working essentially through the night when the night games were finished and we would be broadcasting a post game a lot of times. And then our final drive, which is our wrap up show uh, that goes for an hour. Um, and some of the nights I wouldn't get out of the studio until 
you know, 1.30 a.m. And then you turn around with that and I hop in a car, drive five and a half, six hours to Columbus and, and handle business here, whether it's uh, personal, just catching up, making sure I'm spending time with family, whether it's business stuff that I was doing here for real estate and, and other different things. I mean, it's just, it was wearing me out. So uh, I kind of had to pull back and this was one of the, the you know, probably, and I hate using it like this because I love doing this show, but maybe one of the low hanging fruit aspects of my life where I could say, all right, I can take a break. I can take a hiatus because, you know, Zedia Network is fantastic and Andrew Zolden, um, who's a producer of the show, but also the guy who's running the shit over here um, is really understanding of those things. And he's given me a lot of freedom to not only produce the content and, and create the content that I want to create, but also to mold the schedule for all the things that I'm doing so he can accommodate me here, which I'm very appreciative of. Um, it was, it was easy to take a step back for a couple of weeks to press reset there, but I also had to pull back on some other things in my personal life as well, which meant that I wasn't spending nearly as much time, um, on the, the social aspect because outside of work, I needed to make sure that I was tending to my fiance and I, I can, you know, spend time uh, talking to my parents and my, my younger brother and my older brother and everything else, you know, just making sure I was focused on what was important. Um, and, and so to say all of that is uh, not to make excuses. Life happens. And sometimes you just, you got to be able to work through the shit and you got to press reset and get back right, which I, I've done. Um, I'm very fortunate to be uh, in a position to where I can pull back on certain things because I know some people only have the option to go. They don't have the ability to press the pause button um, because pressing pause could be detrimental to their career progress. It, you know, some people can't take time off from work because they get paid by the hour. The time they take off from work takes food off of their table. You know, it takes the ability to keep the lights on or pay the rent away. Um, and so I'm fortunate that I could, could call my shot and say, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna press pause. But um, through all of this, I was definitely making progress on some different things. And I want to share just a couple with you. Um, number one is my real estate brokerage offered me and um, one of my colleagues a great opportunity to um, open up and manage an office in the upper Arlington area of central Ohio. Um, and it's, it's a small office. It's a really small space. But the idea there is to um, have a place that is walkable within that community. Um, we want to kind of be, uh, you know, a little bit of a watering hole when we can get back to living life like that, where folks pop in and we have a pulse on what's going on in central Ohio. Obviously, uh, we'll have a pulse on the real estate market in central Ohio and be able to help clients, but also, um, you know, just to, to be a very social place uh, and, and a fixture within the community. Um, we'll be able to build the culture there through recruiting some high-powered, uh, high-production agents who will be able to help us grow the office and grow the culture and, and do some wonderful things there. And I'm very fortunate that I was tapped for that opportunity um, because that means, obviously, uh, they believe in the leadership, but they, they also see the trajectory of the career there, which is great. Um, but that is also not to say that I haven't fully invested in taking some steps um, in the media space. I've got a couple of different projects that I'm working on and, uh, you know, none of them I want to divulge too much information on because we're, we're still kind of in infancy, but one, um, is the option for, uh, you know, just like a, a cool, um, you know, whether it's weekly or we move to a daily format, but, you know, just a, a show, um, in sports, but we're talking, 
broader life and really leadership and different lessons, which would be awesome. Um, alongside of that, there's an opportunity for me to, um, to create more digital content in a space that is um, relatable for people my age and uh, really interactive and on demand, which I think, you know, in, in people in, in traditional media, television, radio, whatever, it'll tell you like podcasting is great because it's on demand and people like streaming because it's on demand. And I want to be able to do some of that as well um, on demand. And then finally, there's another project that I'm working on. It's a storytelling project of a, uh, a really awesome, um, just, I would say a span of time. I don't want to divulge what the idea is because, you know, we, we're, we're working on uh, a model to be able to sell this uh, to be able to do for other people, but it's, it's a great story. Um, we're doing it the right way. We spent a ton of time and we've put some resources into it and I'm just really excited to see uh, where that goes and, and the ability for us to do it for other people as well, I think is going to be awesome. So just wanted to share those things, but you know, when you're, when you're 26 years old and you've got big ideas and you've got aspirations and you really are chasing uh, which I think is the American dream. And that's a, a phrase that's really overused, but you're chasing the American dream, which is freedom. Um, you know, I've, I've invested my, my time, my effort, my, uh, my dollars and my soul into some of these things with the hopes that um, down the line when I'm maybe 36 or 46, I'm not working nearly as hard because I'll tell you what, this shit can't keep up for the next 10 to 20 years. It's got to, has got to level off at some point, but all really awesome stuff. Um, and to say that, uh, the, the relational side, which I talked about before, um, is as strong as it's ever been for some of my personal connections. I'm very proud to have, uh, navigated some of these, some of these unique times, uh, keeping all of that intact. So I'll put that to rest. I'm glad to be back and I've got a hell of a show lined up for you. And since I've been gone, a lot of things have happened. Uh, in the world of college football, we've gotten CFP rankings. Uh, we didn't have those the last show that I did. Uh, the last show that I did, we were talking about Ohio State's first canceled game of the season against Maryland. And since then, we've had two more cancellations. Uh, we lost the Illinois game, which went up to really the 11th hour. They were talking about flying in the morning of to play that game. And then finally, the plug was pulled there, which was probably the wise decision considering it allowed Ohio State to go out against Michigan State and play that game and, and keep, you know, roster was definitely depleted, but keep more of the roster intact. There was a thought that uh, you go out there and you play that game and um, you allow the, the virus to spread a little bit more within the team, but you also play on a field that would have not been a clean field, but a dirty field and maybe would have spread the virus to uh, the University of Illinois, which would have been unfair to their players. So I think it was a smart move on OSU's behalf, especially with some of the recent news coming out about their prospects, which I'll get into and then the Michigan game, obviously, the game this week canceled uh, COVID issues up there in Ann Arbor. And they've also had a, a pretty banged up roster this year. I'll, not to make excuses for them, but they've got a lot going on. And, and there are a lot of conspiracy theorists that think Jim Harbaugh's trying to dodge it and they don't really want to play. And I'll say uh, I, I don't like those bastards very much, but I don't think Jim Harbaugh is a dodge a game kind of guy. Um, you know, he's the player who guaranteed a victory against Ohio State when he was a player at Michigan and got the victory. Um, he's a guy who's been competitive almost to a point of being weird at times. 
And so it, it's not within, I don't think, his value system to dodge a game like that. And they, I mean, the, the injuries have been documented on that team between injuries and between some opt-outs. It's been a, a little bit of, of a rough year fielding a full roster for them. So I'm sure any COVID, um, any COVID cases were definitely going to deplete them. But uh, with that said, Ohio State missed uh, three games this year in total, and they're off this week. Uh, would have been playing that team up north game. They're not. Now they get to focus all of their efforts and energies into championship weekend, and I'll talk about exactly how we got there. But in saying that, Ohio State only has uh, five regular season games in with a sixth during the championship weekend. And now this, this gets things a little bit cloudy in the top four. Ohio State's holding on to that four spot, uh, and I think pretty much deservingly so. And uh, things can get interesting, though, in the next couple of weeks. And, and what I mean by that is there's a doomsday um, scenario that I think Ohio State wants to avoid because if that doomsday scenario happens, uh, it'll, it'll, it'll be a hell of a discussion on who gets in to the final four. Um, so, you know, we'll kind of dive into a little bit of the details of that as well. We're going to talk the Big Ten rule change that's going to let Ohio State play in the Big Ten championship game. Were they right? Or were they wrong in changing it? I've definitely got some thoughts on that. We'll also dig into Ohio State's resume in terms of their fight to hold on to that fourth spot or even elevate. Uh, what do I think about it and the doomsday scenario that I kind of laid out for Ohio State, how the hell that will affect them. Uh, we are also going to take a look around the Big Ten. Indiana's been a hell of a story this year. Uh, Michigan obviously got some questions. Not really going to talk Penn State. They're, they're kind of swinging back into, um, you know, winning some games here. And then Wisconsin's actually a team that I want to talk about too because, you know, week one, we, we definitely – we saw something, but I don't know if that something was, was what we need to believe. Um, I'll, I'll go quick through – the CFP rankings talk about some of the other conferences. And before we get to the word of the week at the end, uh, we will talk about craziness in the world and why I'm just disappointed in some people flat out. So we got a great show, show ahead. I want to get into it. So uh, big news from the Big Ten Conference, dropping the minimum requirements for number of games for the conference championship game. Uh, fair to point out that this was a rule that was created not by Kevin Warren and the university presidents, but by the university ADs and the head coaches of these programs. Um, and that, that's the troubling part to me, but, um, you know, I'll talk a little bit about that in a sec. So the requirement was that a team would have to play six games or no more than two less than the average number of games played within the conference. So that's the real confusing part, but um, you know, for all intents and purposes, the average number of games played in the conference lent itself to six being the number of games that any team who was vying to be in the conference championship game would have had to play. That was a big issue because Ohio State only had five games in their regular season due to uh, cancellations. And specifically, it came up to this final week with the cancellation of the game and a couple others around the Big Ten, which wouldn't have allowed Ohio State to move the schedule around to get a game. Um, they were sitting there at five. So the presidents, I'm sorry, the, uh, the athletic directors and the coaches got together and uh, they elected to, to change the rule and let Ohio State in. So the question that a lot of people have been asking is, was this the right decision? You know, like, did they do the right thing by changing the rule just so Ohio State 
could play in the conference championship and to create a path for, you know, their favorite school to make it into the CFP. And I'm going to put it here like this. I don't think the, the right question is, was it the right decision to reverse it? Um, I, I can definitely say that the question we should be asking is why the hell would they make a minimum requirement in the first place? Uh, if you're a coach or an AD, you would have to have thought that there would be a chance that one of your best schools in either division would not have hit the threshold to play in the conference championship. And really the thought could have been that it, it would be your team with the best shot of getting into the playoffs. Like that wasn't completely out of the question. And so they could have made a rule that would protect for some of the things I, I think they wanted to protect against, which was, you know, let's say the scenario was that, um, you know, Ohio state was undefeated heading into the game as well as Michigan and, uh, you know, Michigan had five games total and Ohio State had six games total, including the cancellation of the game. Uh, but there was no head to head. Right. So both of them are tied technically by win percentage for first in the East Division. Ohio State in that scenario would be six and oh, Michigan would be five and oh. And the game is canceled for both of them. So there, there wouldn't be that tiebreaker head to head. I think what the Big Ten was saying is that since Ohio State would have had the minimum six games, they would have been the representative from the East, even though they had the same record as Michigan, right? They were both undefeated in the same win percentage, not the same record, the same win percentage as Michigan. Um, I think they were also trying to protect against a scenario where, say, um, Indiana was six and one and uh, Michigan was um, three and oh. Right. And so Michigan technically has a better win percentage, but they ain't play no damn games. Uh, and so they would allow for Indiana to be the representative in that situation because Michigan didn't have enough games. The, the scenario that they weren't trying to uh, protect against was the exact scenario that happened is the best team in the conference, uh, which is undefeated, only played five games. So they were one game short of the minimum. And the team that they had beaten head to head would become the representative just because they played enough games to get into the game. I don't think that's what they were trying to do. Um, and in case in point, Ohio State could have scheduled a game against anybody, could have lost that game, and still would have been the East representative because of the head-to-head -head victory over Indiana. And so that's why it, it, the, it was the right decision to reverse it. It was definitely the wrong decision to have that stupid-ass rule to begin with. But the reason it was the right decision to reverse it is Ohio State had the head-to-head, -head, so it wouldn't have mattered who, who they played, really, and, and, and it wouldn't have mattered what the outcome of the game was. Um, they still would have represented the East in the Big Ten championship game just because they had the sixth game. That's all they needed. They didn't need a win. They just needed a game. Um, and so right decision on the Big Ten conference puts Ohio State in the conference championship game with an advantage over Northwestern because Northwestern has to play this week and Ohio State doesn't. Um, that's really interesting in terms of preparation for that game. Um, and I'll preview that next week, what my thoughts are for Ohio State and their prospects in the Big Ten championship game. So since we're on Ohio State, I'm going to run through their resume here real quick because I, I kind of want to tie this together on a more national scope. 
So Ohio State's resume, game one played Nebraska, uh, blew them out uh, 52 to 17, really blew that game open in the second half. Then they go uh, visit Penn State. They win that game 38-25. It really didn't feel like a dominant performance in the second half of that game from Ohio State. Um, Secondary is really when it started uh, when the secondary really started showing cracks was against Penn State. Jahan Dotson had himself a really good game, um, had back-to-back big plays on Sean Wade, um, and then, you know, had another touchdown reception as well on a really good route that he ran. Um, and so, you know, that's where we started to ask questions. Then we, we get to the Rutgers game. They lead Rutgers 35-3 to at half, and then they're outscored 24-14 to in the second half of that game, but still win it 49-27, uh, to pretty big margin of victory there, uh, you know, Rutgers is definitely not the same old Rutgers from before. I think they're different from a, a makeup standpoint uh, from their culture. I think that they do have some good athletes there, um, but still definitely raised some questions on Ohio State's ability to finish a game. And then here was the one, and this is the one that I think is the big difference maker. And this is the one that I'm really going to make my point on when I make it is the Indiana game. They led Indiana uh, in the third quarter 35-7. to seven. And then from that point, they were outscored 28-7 to seven, uh, and, and held on for a 42-35 to 35 victory. Um, this was Ohio State's statement game. I think this was the game where Ohio State was going to let the college football playoff committee know that they were elite, and they didn't perform that way. And I think offensively, they were fine. Justin Fields, of course, threw three interceptions. It was totally uncharacteristic. And this ain't got anything to do with their, their CFP evaluation. The, the issue with Justin Fields wasn't necessarily um, – it was the bad decision-making, right? It, was, it wasn't necessarily that he went out there and, you know, just played a bad game. It was that he threw two errant passes that he should have never thrown – probably just taking the sack and, and, you know, don't give the ball away. Um, but I want to point this out. The, the third interception that he threw was a deep pass over the middle. And it was, it's been my one big criticism of Justin Fields in terms of um, him as a player is that the, the reason that ball was intercepted is because it didn't have enough zip on it. Um, I think Justin Fields does everything well except for the fastball. I think that's the one place where I'd like to see his game elevate. Um, you know, like you, you know, some quarterbacks, the way they throw the ball, you know, they'll, they'll leave the, the crosshairs from the point of the ball on a receiver's chest. You can hear it zipping past your helmet. And I just don't think Justin Fields has that zip with consistency, neither here nor there. That was a game where Ohio State had every chance to cement themselves as a top four team. And I will, I will, I would go on to say that even with the lack of games, I think that would have taken some of the questions out of it. But uh, Justin Fields did throw the three interceptions. Ohio State gave up almost 500 yards passing. I mean, you just can't do that. Um, and so, you know, it was a, a top 10 victory, but I think it left the committee members and, and national media people with maybe more questions than answers about the Buckeyes to a certain point. Um, and so we go on, we get cancellation. Um, that wasn't the, the cancellation for Maryland. That was the week before. So we get uh, the cancellation for Illinois, which, you know, took a little bit of, I think, steam off from Ohio State just because when you're getting criticized, you like to be able to go back out there. But I also think it, it lent itself to an opportunity to 
uh, be able to practice and get young guys more reps, which is exactly what we saw against Michigan State. They went out there 52-12, uh, to 12, won that game, wasn't even close. They were able to get some young people in rotation uh, because partially because they had to, and the other part was because the game was blown out of the water. Um, let me make this point, though, in, in bringing up OSU's resume. I am under the impression, personally, that if Ohio State would have won all of their games the way that they just beat Michigan State a week ago, we are not going through any type of doomsday scenarios. Even with Ohio State playing five games in the regular season, I think that they would have cemented themselves as one of the top four teams because that would have been dominant in every game. You know, Penn State, you felt like maybe they fell asleep a little bit late game. Rutgers, same thing, you know, got outscored in the second half. And then they had the, the game against Indiana where there were a lot of questions. And I feel like if they play four-quarter games and they don't leave any of those questions, then they're top four all the way, regardless of some of the, the chaotic stuff that happens. But now you hear the committee talking about we need more data points, we want to see more games. Um, and even I felt like there was a little bit of a an anxiety among Ohio State fans to play in the Big Ten championship game, not because Ohio State deserved it and they deserve the ability to defend their title. I, I feel like people wanted that extra data point of not only uh, playing in the extra game, but that game being a conference championship for the committee to evaluate. Um, I think if Ohio State had been completely dominant uh, top to bottom in all of their games, a lot of people would have been disappointed that Ohio State couldn't play just based off of the fact that they were the best team in the conference. But I think that they would have been fine with the Champions Week matchup of whoever they might have gotten in that second place game because they were already solidified in, in their in their mind, the goal is the CFP. It's not necessarily a Big Ten championship. You know, it's not to some people, which is wild. It's not even um, beating the team up north. It is being able to play for a national title. And so um, all of that to say that Ohio State has definitely left questions. And so that doomsday scenario I've been, I've been talking about is Florida beats Alabama in the SEC championship. Uh, Clemson beats Notre Dame in the rematch in their ACC championship game. What do you do? And I really believe at that point, um, you know, you, what do you do is you probably do um, Clemson number one, Florida number two, Notre Dame number three, Alabama number four, and Ohio State's on the outside looking in. And the only chance in that scenario that Ohio State isn't on the outside looking in is they beat the the piss out of Northwestern in the conference championship game and give yourself a chance by saying um, you look at us with a top 10 win and then our last two performances were dominant Michigan State you beat them by 40 points and then you got to do the same thing to Northwestern and then you you say okay even though these are all one loss teams that we feel are really good uh, maybe Ohio State being the undefeated Big Ten champ should be in over, you know, whoever that team that they would leave out, maybe Notre Dame, because you still feel like Alabama is one of the best, right? But that would be the scenario. Otherwise, I think that you put all those four teams in there and, and probably in that order that I named, uh, you know, you, you would, in my mind, jump Clemson up to number one. I think Florida would have earned that uh, second spot, you would drop Notre Dame uh, down to three, and then you would put Alabama in in the four hole, and then you don't get any any 
you know, immediate rematches at least anyway. But um, that puts Ohio State in a scenario where they feel like they don't control their own destiny. Part of it is there weren't enough games played. And I, I tend to agree with that, that if we would have been able to play all the eight games and then the plus one for the Big Ten championship, then Ohio State definitely is more apparent within this conversation. Uh, but I also do believe that Ohio State, with the worst pass defense in the Big Ten Conference, has brought this upon themselves just a little bit. Um, and so I'm, I'm very curious to see how this all plays out. Hopefully we can avoid that scenario and not have to break anybody's hearts. But um, th- this will be interesting, and it'll be something that we're going to follow very, very closely um, next week, and, and we'll be able to break down in, in the week after that once the actual final CFP comes out. But really, really cool stuff going on there. Um, want to talk about Indiana for a hot sec. I think Indiana is the story of the year in college football. And I'm not saying that just because I'm a Big Ten guy. I think a lot of people nationally would tell you that. I think a lot of national people believe Tom Allen should be national coach of the year uh, and the way that he's had his players playing, not only um, in the fight that they showed against Ohio State, not only in the fight that they showed week one against Penn State, uh, but also going with their backup quarterback and beating a, a Wisconsin team that was ranked at the time, I think they've earned a lot of respect. And the moment that stands out to me all year long, it's really two moments, is uh, number one was watching Tom Allen after his defense got an interception in one of the games, like, you know, celebrate so hard that he hit one of his players accidentally, like, you know, cut his face open, essentially celebrating because he's that into it, right? But then you watch after the game against Wisconsin, the players are jogging off the field. We love you, Coach Allen. You know, Coach Allen, you're the best. One of their players says, hey, any recruits watching this come to Indiana, right? That, like, that's the biggest endorsement right there is your players are, are purely invested and they're bought in and they love their coach. They want other players to come there uh, and, and, and aspire to greatness the way that they have. But I, I, that turnaround is wild. And there are teams – that we watch and like for Ohio state, um, you know, like their Ohio state's first evers are like, you know, the first ever to, to, you know, do something so well, so many times, right. For Indiana, their first ever is like, you know, their first ever time beating Penn state and Michigan the same year, you know, their first ever is like their first ever time, probably, you know, whatever the case is different records and winning, having a, a winning conference record back-to-back, you know, first time since, right? They do that thing. Um, and it's really special to watch that. And it's really special to see the, the player-coach relationship that's there and the culture that exists within that program. Now, I'm going to flip it to something more negative. Michigan, you're seeing basically the exact opposite. You're seeing a team that I think is dejected mentality-wise. Like I said, they're ravaged by injuries, which really hurts. Uh, but I don't think that they're playing with intensity. They don't have belief in the players and the coaches and everything else. Like there's a definite disconnect between what's going on there, which is a shame uh, for such a storied program. And I'm, I'm just, this is what I'm curious of. And I, I said it before, I think this is a trend um, of what this program is headed toward. And I hate saying that because Michigan is a storied program and it's a program that has pretty recently won, you know, 10 games. And they finished top 10 in the CFP, like the final ranking that comes out before the, the, the brackets released and everything. Like, they're a team that has – they've done pretty well recently. But you just feel like the trend 
is going the opposite direction right now. And I don't know if, I, I truly don't know if firing Harbaugh is necessarily the answer to that because, you know, you might be able to find a better coach and you might need to, to hit a culture reset. Um, but do you, do you actually change the results by doing that? And what I mean is, do you actually beat Ohio State and win a Big Ten championship? Do you actually make the college football playoff? Do you actually win a New Year's Six Bowl game against a highly ranked out-of-conference opponent? Like, I, I truly don't know um, if bringing in a new coach changes any of those things. It, it might reset the culture, which they probably need to do. But you, you, feel, like, um, you feel like it is going in the wrong direction. And, and just for the sake of their program, I'm not one of those Ohio State fans that says, you know, piss on Michigan. I hope they never win another game. Um, you know, I, 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 for, for the sake of um, the rivalry and tradition, like you, you want them to be competitive. You know, I don't, I don't need them to be undefeated every time we play them, but you'd like to see them as a team that's winning 10 games a year. And it, it just, it, I don't know, it adds to the conference. It adds to that rivalry. But uh, just right now, the way I'm seeing it, it's just not it. And then finally for the Big Ten, I'm in, on Wisconsin. It's a real interesting story with them. So we watched Wisconsin in week one go out there and open up a can of whoop ass on Illinois. Um, and then literally like two days later, it's like, oh, our head coach and, and our starting quarterback have COVID. It's like, whoa. So we didn't see them for a while. And so what we were left with was this amazing performance from Graham Mertz, who was, you know, highly recruited, highly ranked quarterback coming in guy who hadn't played very much because he was sitting behind uh, a quarterback named Jack Cohn who got injured. And we watched him go out there and have the best completion percentage that week. Uh, him and Justin Fields did. And we watched him lead a very efficient offense and we felt like it was more wide open and they were throwing the ball deep down the field a little bit better than they had before. And like, part of it was like, damn, you know, Jack Cohn's about to get Wally Pip. And, um, you know, like maybe Wisconsin's going to be for real this year, not as the contender that we thought that they were going to be coming out of the West, but like maybe they're going to win football games, not just by having a really good, reliable defense, but by having an offense that can throw the ball around the yard and, and really look like a modern offense. And as Wisconsin came back, I think we learned, and I asked this question on here, I believe, and I asked this question for sure on Big Ten Network is Graham Mertz, was he the player that we saw in that first game, or is he more something different that was below the caliber of what we saw? Like, was the average version of Graham Mertz the version that we saw that completed 90% of his passes in game one, or was the average version of Graham Mertz a guy who was a young quarterback, which is what he is, who was prone to making mistakes and turning the ball over. And he was playing against just an, an Illinois team at the time. And this is what Lovey Smith's teams have done that start off the season terrible. They look awful. Um, and, and was that just what it was? He was playing against bad competition. He looked really good. And that's exactly what it's become. And so now I think Wisconsin's at a little bit of a crossroads is do you, do you roll with the young cat that you've been playing with all year uh, after your veteran quarterback got hurt? And do you let him learn the game and make the mistakes and, you know, especially now that they're not representing the West, do you just really roll with that and try to develop him through legitimate game time? Or now that you have the veteran back from injury, do you put him back in the game and say, hey, we're, we're going to try to finish this thing. and We're going to try to win our, our matchup in the upcoming week. We're going to try to win 
our Champions Week matchup, and we're going to try to win a bowl game with a guy that we know is battle-tested. He's played a ton of football for us. Maybe he's a limited quarterback, but we understand what those limitations are, and we feel like we can roll with that. I have no idea what they're going to do, uh, but it, it presents a really unique scenario, and I think it teaches us a lesson, especially people in media, um, that when we see somebody do something extraordinary for the first time, I think it's okay to admire, and we can be, we can stand there, and we can, we can, you know, we're just in awe of the performance, right? But I, I don't think we need to draw our conclusions based off of the one performance that we saw. I don't think we did any favors for that young man by anointing him as the second best quarterback in the Big Ten Conference after watching one game. I really don't because he's a young quarterback and he's a guy who, who needs to develop. And so having not only to develop but live up to those expectations where you maybe captured, captured lightning in a bottle for one game is definitely unfair. Um, and so let's just not draw conclusions like that. Let's literally just enjoy it for what it is and then keep it pushing um, and ask ourselves a critical question. Are, is what we're watching just something that we need to enjoy and maybe not make that an expectation? Or, you know, in the case of a guy like Justin Fields, who's only played well, like, should that be our expectation? If so, that's a really special player. But um, I think Graham Mertz has time to develop. I think he's going to become a special player because we saw what he can be at his top end when he's, when he's on point. It's just the fact that, He's a young quarterback who now I think teams have seen the tape and they figured him out a little bit, and he just needs the repetitions. That's all he needs. All right, let's, let's shift gears here. I want to take a look at the uh, CFP rankings as a whole, um, you know, just kind of go through the top 25 here. I want to point out a couple different things. So top four, as we know, Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, Ohio State, Texas A&M, Florida, next uh, two teams kind of on the outside looking in right now. This is where the bullshit came for me, and this is where I am just – ah man, I'm tight. I'm just, I'm tight is Iowa state jumps up to number seven. They jumped up two spots, uh, jumped over Cincinnati, jumped over Georgia. Here's the deal for me. I don't, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't think Iowa state's that team. I think Iowa state's got a quarterback who's playing well right now. I think they've got potentially the best running back in America. I don't think that they're the number seven team. And I'm going to tell you exactly how they got to this point, but I'm just, I'm telling you right now, I don't see it. They're trying to make drama for the Big 12, and the drama doesn't need to be there. I personally don't think that Iowa State's beaten Cincinnati on a neutral field. I don't think it's happening. I, I don't believe that. But it is what it is. Uh, before I get to the reason why they're propping up the Big 12, I'm, I'm going to just say this. Georgia, not a damn chance they should be a top 10 team. That's off of name, and that's off of recruiting rankings alone. They don't have a big win. Their resume right now, is two losses to good, to, to, to good teams. They don't have the wins to justify being up there. And I don't think Miami does either, to be completely honest. I think Miami's look real suspect in the one game where they could prove that they were a legit team. They got blown out. Clemson handled them. You look at number 11, they put Oklahoma at 11, uh, two losses, and we saw how Oklahoma looked early on this year. And I'll, I'll be the first person to say who you are early in the year does not dictate who you are at the end of the year. 2014 Ohio State Buckeyes, the team I played on, I, I can tell you right now, you can lose to a bad team and still end up being a national title caliber team. I don't know if I buy it because I don't believe any of the teams in the Big 12 are actually any good at all. Indiana, they beat Wisconsin, who was ranked at the time. They don't move up at all. I think that's an indictment on what the committee thinks of Wisconsin and overall an indictment on what the committee believes about the Big Ten Conference as a whole. Coastal Carolina jumps up. They flip-flop essentially with BYU. I have no problem with that. Northwestern is sitting 
at number 14. It's a shame that they lost to Michigan State because it really took the, uh, the excitement and the luster off of that program. One of the best defenses that I've watched all year long. Haven't watched any West Coast games, so I can't really comment about USC from an intelligence standpoint. Iowa, 5-2. and two. Again, they're an example of you're not who you are at the beginning of the year. At the end of the year, they started off 0-2. I think they are one of the best teams um, in terms of their trend right now in college football. I think they actually might be the second best team in the Big Ten Conference today. Even though they lost to Northwestern, I think if they replayed that game, uh, they'd probably win it. Iowa's trending really, really well right now. North Carolina is another team that I think is a fraud, should not be sitting at 17. There is no justification for that. Because, again, I think they're a team um, who's touted losses as a part of their resume. I just don't get it. BYU, anytime, any place, whatever the hell that they were saying, now we see what they are. Like, all the people who said they should have been a top-10 team, this, that, and the third. You understand now why they're not. A a win over North Alabama doesn't mean a damn thing. You got to go out there and you got to play legit teams. And they played one. They lost. It's not to say they're a bad team, but they definitely weren't a top-10 team. And so I'm glad we can stop saying that. Louisiana. Hell of a story there. How about Texas at number 20? I don't want to get started on it, but this is some bullshit. It really is. Texas at number 20. This is a team right now that's flirting with firing their head coach. They're flirting with firing their head coach. Six and three, sitting there at number 20. And I think it's all a part of this, let's create some drama around the Big 12. You know, let's try to involve more conferences than just the SEC, ACC, and Big Ten in this conversation. And so you end up doing dumb stuff like ranking Texas number 20. I I truly don't see it, but it is what it is. And then, you know, 21 through 25, I don't have a ton to say. You got um, Missouri in there, and that's that's my guy Zolden's team. Um, You know, I, I think that's a part of a conspiracy as well. Uh, And and part of the hard thing about this year is like, who the hell are you going to rank? But the other part is I think it is a conspiracy because Missouri's been on some top team schedules. So, but let me get to this big 12 little thing. The issue that I have is I don't think we can say that Iowa state deserves to be a top 10 team because I think that what we're watching is a bunch of vomit out of that conference. And so the, the frame of comparison is, the Big 12 lost a bunch of – and again, I'll be the first to say who you are at the beginning of the year and who you are at the end of the year. But they lost a bunch of games to the Sun Belt Conference, and then they looked awful against each other by and large. Like, Big 12, Big 12 teams have not looked good against other Big 12 teams. I, don't, I just don't see how you can draw the conclusion that, um, especially with two losses up there, that Iowa State is the number seven team in the country. But – you know, I, I'll, I'll back up off of that. We will see here what happens with them as we go on, but there you have it. So, um, you know, right now it's really looking like uh, if you're Alabama, you control your own destiny. If you're Notre Dame, you control your own destiny. Um, really, if you're Clemson and if you're Florida, you control your own destiny as well. Uh, I think if you're Texas A&M and Ohio State, you don't control your own destiny. You need some scenarios to happen um, in, order, in order to get in the show. And what's, what's different now about this, uh, this CFP format is in the old polls, it was, you know, you, you win a game, you don't drop. In the CFP, you can win a game and you can still drop in the polls. So it's not winning, you're in. It's if you're Alabama, Notre Dame, Clemson, 
or Florida, you're a win and you're in situation. If you're Texas A&M and you're Ohio State, you need some teams and you need the right teams to lose games in order to get into the show. I love the drama. I just wish my team wasn't involved in it. I'm going to leave it at that. So I'm going to definitely switch gears here into uh, something that has nothing to do with sports. Um, so I, I did a little bit of the civics lesson on the election, just talked about, you know, the procedure for um, how they certify the election, what goes on, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just, I don't want to get too far into it, but I'm, I'm so disappointed in um, how, first off, hypocritical, I think, some people are, but also gullible. Um, the Trump campaign has been fighting against what they call a rigged election. You know, they say there's no way that Joe could have won Pennsylvania or Georgia or Wisconsin or Michigan the way that he did. Um, and they're really sowing distrust in our systems and in our elections, which is shameful. Uh, but every time they've been to court, the judges have literally said, you're wasting our time. You have no concrete evidence. So shut up and leave. And people are still buying into what they're being sold. And I guess the, the question is, do your political beliefs blind you from, from believing in our processes, number one, and accepting what federal and in, in state and whatever judges have told you to be the truth that there is no evidence of any type of fraud going on. I would just ask that simple question. And I understand because, and this is where the hypocrisy comes in, but in 16, a lot of Hillary Clinton supporters were very disappointed that Donald Trump could have become the president of the United States. And, and their reason was that they believe the electoral college is a broken system, which is a very different reason than believing that um, you know, somebody stole an election or that there was widespread rampant election fraud. Um, and we can, you can debate academically uh, whether the electoral college is a system that suits the United States of today. Uh, like I said, you can have that debate, but like there were a lot of Hillary Clinton supporters that wouldn't accept the results of that election. And I can remember Republicans talking about, you know, we like drinking liberal tears and you need to ex accept the, the results of the election. And, uh, you know, what's done is done and, and fighting it and is not doing anything in this, that, and the third. Now here we are. And the shoe's on the other foot. And it's just really interesting to see that transition. And I think it shows, too, um, that as humans, that we are extremely irrational. Uh, because it's the same folks that were also butthurt in 16 that are telling Trump supporters straight up, plainly, to get over it. Um, that's irrational because when it was you, you didn't feel like you had to get over it. Um, but anyway, I'm disappointed overall that we could be at this point where we have created so much distrust in our systems um, that we have created such a polarized um, environment of finger pointing and everything else. Um, that's bad. But here's, here's something else that's bad. And this is on the Corona tip. I was at lunch today and I felt like I needed to put this in here. I was at lunch today with a, uh, a former teammate of mine, great guy, um, you know, just got a ton of respect for him and his family. Um, and we were talking about, uh, you know, just the world right now. And he, he is a, a business owner and, um, you know, he's been fine 
they've they've they're a large enough business that he has access to credit and they've been able to do largely um their business because they can do it without running out of a, a traditional you know face-to-face -face marketplace type of situation um but he was saying that uh you know he feels bad for businesses that have been shut down um due to the coronavirus that may not be able to recover in the ways that his business is able to um, and he, he talked about the fact that, um, you know, there is a way to handle this from a common sense perspective. And so I, I wanted to touch on that a little bit because I tend to agree with him. And, and we both came to this conclusion is that uh, you, can, you can live and you can operate in a manner that is safe um, but also is conducive to achieving goals, right? So essentially what we came down with is that anybody who is saying that everything needs to be shut down and everybody needs to be at home is probably wrong. Anybody who says that we should be able to live our lives normally, uh, no distancing, no mask on, um, you know, no regulations, whatever, is wrong. And I think that there was some wisdom from decision makers who are a lot smarter than us, who said that if I'm wearing a mask and the person I'm sitting across from is wearing a mask, then there's something like a 80%, and I'm, I'm throwing a number out, but a really high percentage that neither one of us would contract the coronavirus. Like if we wouldn't spread it, we wouldn't contract it, right? And there was a thought that if everybody did that, wore a mask, limited their outside activity, but, but didn't completely eliminate it, just limited it, um, and, and adhered to the most part uh, to social distancing. You know, like if I'm in a public place, I'm going to stay six feet away, but it doesn't mean I can't be in a public place, that we could have been further along than where we are. But this is the issue, and this is what we both came up with, is the Republican politicians that he supports are grandstanding and trying to make a point. The Democrat politicians that I support are grandstanding and trying to make a point. So the Democrats will say we need to shut down businesses and we need to give COVID relief. And so the businesses are shut down, the relief hasn't come. So the Republicans will say, well, that's your damn fault. But the Republicans will say, we don't need to give the relief. We need to open the businesses, but the businesses are still shut and there's no relief. So that's their fault. And so really the middle ground is, it's both your guys' damn fault. Um, and we probably don't need to have all of the everything on both sides is going on. I think there's a happy medium, but everybody's been forced to choose one side or the other. And I think it's been a detriment to us being able to combat this virus, right? Like, I live um, in a world where I'm wearing a mask everywhere I go in public, but I still go out in public. Like I can meet somebody at a restaurant and that's my comfort level. And I wear a mask and I'm respectful and I keep away from people. When I go to the grocery store, I definitely keep my distance. I like to sanitize my stuff, uh, but I think that's how I, I, I can live and I can function, right? My dad's comfort level is less than mine. So he goes to the grocery store 
but he doesn't sit down and dine in at restaurants, which is perfectly fine. And then I know other people that all they want to do is just be out and they want to be face to face. And I don't necessarily know if that's the best thing to do, but it's fine as long as they're wearing a mask and doing what they need to do. But like, I guess the moral of this story is um, when I hear some of the doctors talk about coronavirus and beating the virus, basically the, the, the thing that they say the most is like one doctor even said, you can go to work, you can go get food, you can go receive medical care, you need to wash your hands and wear a mask. And I, I truly do believe that the polarization of this has become that um, one side says you can't go anywhere and we shouldn't do anything. And uh, the other side says I should be able to do whatever I want without wearing a mask and the happy medium that probably exists. And the thing that will probably actually help us um, overcome what we're dealing with is you can do things in moderation, but you damn sure need to be wearing a mask and you damn sure need to wash your hands. So I'm going to hop off of my high horse when it comes to that. And I'm going to finish with my word for this week. Um, and I got some weeks to make, so sorry, guys. Uh, the word is integrity. Integrity is defined as the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. Uh, second definition there says a state of being whole and undivided. So uh, when we talk about integrity, I think a lot of us talk about the, uh, the, the quality of being honest, right? And having strong moral principles. So, you know, when somebody has integrity, they tell you the truth that they say they're going to do something, it's done, um, no questions asked, all that kind of stuff. Um, where I like to think of integrity is actually the second definition is the state of being whole and undivided. So when you are dishonest with somebody, when you con somebody, when you fool them, when you, when you tell them something that's deceitful, um, and especially when you do it over and over, you create a relationship between yourself and that person that is divided and that is not whole. And I, I, that really kind of hit me. Like, as I was looking at that, like the first definition for sure just talks about like the quality, but I think the second definition definitely, you know, it's more of a, a physical thing, right? So when we talk about integrity, for example, in real estate, you would say structural integrity. So if there's cracks in foundation, the, the structure lacks integrity, um, you know, it's, it's divided and it's not whole. But I think that that can be applied to a relational um, application as well, where being whole and undivided means that um, when your relationship is whole and undivided with somebody, it means that um, it is full of integrity and you have made sure to uh, be truthful and to be uh, forthright and upstanding with somebody. And I just, I think that if we started considering our paradigms, not necessarily via, you know, qualities, but via um, the impact that those qualities would have on relationships, I think that we would be in a space where we, we hurt people less, essentially. Like we, we're better to people and people become hurt less. So I'll end you all with that. Um, this has been a pleasure. I'm so glad to be back. I know I was kind of long-winded at the beginning, just talking about all the stuff going on, but I really do uh, hope that everybody appreciated and enjoyed this show. Uh, always got to shout out my all-star producer, Andrew Zolden. He's a man, uh, allows me to do some really fun stuff and gives me the flexibility to do it, uh, providing my own content and doing it on my own schedule. This is the Joshua Perry show on the ZDN network. I'll holler at y'all next week.